here first things first, talking some Chiefs. One talking of the, some who, Jenna? The Kansas City defending Super Bowl champion <laughs> Chiefs. Thank you very much. Oh, man. I got to say that to him every morning when he walks into work. Yep. One of the biggest keys to winning Super Bowl 54 was the play of Tyron Matthew, who lists, among other cool things, post-Super Bowl related. Joining us here on First Things First, Thank you so much for being with us this morning, Tyron. Thank you. Thank you guys for having me. Good morning. Good, Good morning. morning. All right, before we get to the important stuff, we want to talk about something even more important. You announced your third annual Celebrity Kickball Classic taking place in KC this year on, I believe, May 16th. Tell us a yeah. little bit about it and tell us about your foundation. Yeah, so uh, May, May 15th, 16th, um, uh, out here at uh, T-Bone Stadium in Kansas City, uh, I'll be throwing my third annual uh, Tyron Matthews Celebrity Kickball Weekend. Um, the last two years I've done them in New Orleans. Uh, it's been a, a fairly decent turnout. Uh, I feel like the next step for me is to kind of, you know, obviously take it to Kansas City uh, and let these people enjoy it. It's been such a great year, and um, I feel like the fans here have really been so supportive and encouraging. Uh, and I think the fans are a big part of why. You know, um, we had a lot of success this year. And I think personally, um, they're the reason why, you know, I have a lot of success. So, um, you know, I think their support, their encouragement continues to drive, you know, me, my foundation um, and a lot of other guys throughout the league. Tyron, your foundation's great. The work you do for disadvantaged youths and financially disadvantaged youths is wonderful. You're teaming up with my friend, the high school classmate and good friend, Quentin Lucas, the mayor of Kansas City. I assume my invitation is in the mail or got lost or something, but I'll see you out there in the middle of May either way. I, I'm curious for you as a native Kansas City, and you've now been there about a year, your, your favorite spots. Everyone asks the best barbecue spots. We all know the best barbecue spots, Arthur Bryant's. But aside from that, some of you, in your year in Kansas City, some of your favorite things to do? Uh, really, man, I, just, I enjoy my family. You know, I really enjoy my friends. Um, you know, I enjoy my teammates being able to spend time with them. Um, I feel like I'm in a really a unique, you know, position out here. Uh, a lot of my teammates are my neighbors. So uh, not only do we spend a lot of time at work together, um, you know, we're able to come home and, you know, see each other in the yard, you know, trying to do yard work, different things like that. Uh, but I just feel like I feel like Kansas City was, you know, uh, for me. I, I feel like that was the next place for me. And, um, you know, it's been a it's been a great journey so far. All right, Tyron, as we dive into what the last month has been like, can you just take us through some of the highlights? I'm sure it's been kind of a whirlwind. Have you settled down yet, knowing that you can go to sleep at night as the defending? Nick makes me say it every day. Yeah. Super Bowl champion, Kansas City Chiefs. Yeah, you know, i got to be honest. Um, it hasn't really hit me yet, um, but... Uh, obviously, just to, to kind of reflect on the year we've had, uh, the process. Um, you know, I remember one at one point in time. You know, uh, we were we were six and four. We weren't really good, um, and we was dealing with a lot of injuries as well. So um, I, I think to be able to overcome, you know, certain challenges throughout the year and different adversities. Um, uh, I think ultimately that's why we were able to kind of you know win that Super Bowl and come back in the fourth quarter. Um, uh, I, I thought we handled, you know, our adversity the right way this, this season. Tyron, congratulations on your Super Bowl win, man, Greg Jennings. I just want to ask this question really quick. You're on a team with a lot of special players. If you win the Super Bowl, you got to have a lot of talented individuals. But to be named team MVP, MVP, like – you get a lot of accolades from the league, all pro, but to be named team MVP by your peers that you go to work with every single day, talk about that. I mean, you know, 
it means a lot to me. You know, um, uh, I think each and every day I wake up and, and, and go to work, um, you know, I, it's really to, to make the people around me better, right? Uh, I want to build, you know, my teammates up. Uh, I want my coaches to be able to trust me. Um, but I think anytime you're able to win a team award, uh, uh, I think you're able to kind of sit down, reflect, and realize, you know, uh, how grateful and fortunate you are. Um, There's a lot of great guys on our team, especially <laughs> Pat Mahomes. But, um, you know, uh, I think for me, it was all about just handling, you know, what I can handle. Um, going to work every day, being the right kind of leader, uh, be willing to serve others, um, uh, and then just be ready to have tough conversations, you know, hold guys accountable. Um, so I'm just so grateful that my teammates were, were really able to to notice the, the efforts that I was trying to do this season. All right, Tyron, let's go Let's go through the playoff run because these, I, I mean, I can quote it chapter and verse to you, but we've got some great clips of Patrick down 24 nothing, saying to the offense, make one play, just make one play in the opening playoff game against the Texans. I've also heard from players on the team, you were doing the exact same thing on the defensive side of the ball while when it looked like, oh my God, the hell is happening here. What are you saying to your teammates? And we think about the 51 points on the offensive side of the ball if you're down 21 nothing. But you guys basically blanked the Texans on the defensive side after struggling early. What are you saying to them, and how'd you guys turn that game around? Yeah, I think the most important thing is to, you know, really focus on the next play. Um, I really felt like defensively, uh, you know, a few of those few of those plays were really out of our hands. Um, and but for us, it's all about coming to the sideline, regrouping, collecting ourselves um, and then going out there and just focusing on the very next play. Um, and I tell my guys that all the time, whether it's a good play or a bad play, just go to the next play. Um, and, I, and I thought we were able to do that. Now let's we'll skip the AFC Championship game. Go to the Super Bowl. At what point in the Super Bowl did you feel like you guys had retaken control of the football game? Probably, really, you know, somewhere in the fourth quarter. Um, well, I felt like we came out, you know, at, at halftime, we and we played fairly decent. Um, I felt like in the fourth quarter we were still you know, really waiting to kind of hit our stride defensively. And, um, uh, you know, me and Frank Clark, you know, we're going up and down the sideline. And, you know, in our mind, we're running out of time. And I felt like our guys really stepped up, you know, really put their foot down at the right time and was really kind of and was really willing to take control of the game, which, in my opinion, I felt like the, the Niners had really controlled that game for about three and a half quarters. And uh, obviously, I feel like the fourth quarter, we, we kind of rose to the to the challenge. So you guys end up coming all the way back. You take the lead. You're up 24-20. I, sitting at home as a Chiefs fan after the Damian Williams scores that touchdown, if I'm being totally honest, and a defensive player didn't want to hear this, I'm thinking, I don't actually hate if the Niners return this kickoff for a touchdown. Then Patrick's back on the field, down three, and just end the game there. It's not what happened. It's first no. and 10. You're at midfield. It's the two-minute warning. You're up less than a touchdown. It's the, the Niners are in the exact position they would have signed up for at the beginning of the game, the beginning of the season. During that two-minute warning, one stop, you're champions. What's the conversation? What's the feeling? Well, really just trying to, you know, get a good idea of what, really what, what are they going to try to do to us. Um, and we knew that obviously it was going to try to get the ball to Kittle. Um, but most importantly, I felt like Debo Samuel was their guy. Um, um, and, and, and actually on the interception that Kendall Fuller uh, caught, um, we had actually communicated the series before about that same route concept. We just thought that they were going to put Kittle at number three and try to force him the ball down the middle. Um, but um, nevertheless, um, I think teams are going to do what they do well. Uh, I think defensively, you just have to be you just have to be aware of you know what they're going to do. 
So about five seconds after you guys won, people started talking about whether you guys would do it again and come back next year because that's how it works in the sports media industry. Is there pressure on you with most of your core returning to roll this back, do it again, get back to the Super Bowl? I mean, I'm, we, I'm, you know, I look at our locker room, you know, going every day, and um, a lot of those guys don't really look at it as pressure, right? Um, a lot of those guys just love to play football. Um, they love to be out there, and um, I think that's what's special about this team. Um, a lot of guys aren't necessarily looking for, you know, the next award show to go to or, you know, what next commercial they can be in. Um, I think it's more so about, you know, what kind of plays can I make for my team? And so uh, uh, I think ultimately we're all grateful to kind of be around each other. But um, I think at the end of the day, we know, you know, it was a good feeling uh, this, this past February. And um, we're going to try to do our best to, to do it again, even though we know it's going to be it's going to be really hard. I want to kind of piggyback on what Jenna just talked about and asked. A lot of people talk about Super Bowl hangover. You hear that term often, like you're on a Super Bowl winning team. You have an opportunity obviously a window of opportunity where you guys can do this again. What is it going to take and what is the mentality? Like, what is the approach of not only yourself, but a, but your head coach, Andy Reid, who this was his first opportunity or, or his first chance to win a Super Bowl and actually taking advantage of that. What is the mentality moving forward? What was the message after winning that game? What has been the message going forward? Yeah, I think I think the message going forward, man, is to is to obviously, you know, let's do it again, make another run at it. Um, you know, like I mentioned, we you know, we understand how hard it's gonna be and you know, even for me as a leader, you know, it'll be it'll be twice as hard. Um but I think that's the challenge, right? Like that's the responsibility you kind of take on as take on as as a leader of a football team. Um, so I'm looking forward to it, man. I'm looking forward to the long days. I'm looking forward to the early mornings. And um, to be honest, Greg, it, it hasn't really hit me yet, so I'm not, you know, even caught up in the hangover, man. I'm I'm actually excited to get it going again, get it started again. And um, I think as long as your core players can 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 feel that, um, I think you can get everybody else going in in that direction. Tyron, I want you to do one thing for me before you go, which I'm not sure how comfortable you are with, but I'm going to ask you to do it anyway, which is talk about yourself for a second here, not just the team. You're, you're one of the most relatable guys for a lot of us in the NFL, not the athletic ability, but the story. Someone who had a lot of promise, dealt with real personal struggles, uh, had people doubt him, had people count him out, then want, seemingly as you're getting over him, something totally out of your control, some injuries. And it's like, okay, now you're counted out again. You got grounded with, a, with your family, you turned into a real grown man and a real leader, and now you have, not, not that you don't have more to accomplish, but if you never played another football game again, you could say, man, I have, I've done everything I ever could have set out to do. How much personal pride, I know you're not done, but how much personal pride and satisfaction do you take in all you've overcome and all you've already done at this point in your career? You know, I'm, 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 I'm more than anything, Nick, I'm, I'm, I'm truly grateful, man. Um, I'm grateful for, you know, obviously God, and um, but I'm grateful for the people that he's really put in my life. Um, I, I truly believe that, um, you know, we are who we surround ourselves with, and um, I've been really fortunate to be around some good people. Um, everybody, does, everybody don't have that same grace. Um, so I think for me, it's about keeping those people in mind and uh, realizing that, you know, I'm not out here by myself. It's a ton of people that support me. It's millions of people um, that are rooting for me. And um, I think I think a lot of times we can kind of get in our head and, and get, in, get in a really dark place. Um, so for me, um, it's about continuing to, to surround myself around great people, people with great wisdom and uh, 
uh, great love and, and great encouragement. And um, I think really that's how I've been able to kind of continue to fight my fight. And uh, I think we all have a fight to fight, but uh, I, I think my fight involves an army of, you know, good people. And um, so I try I try my best to lean on those people. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Congratulations, Ty. It's yes, really, congrats. really great. And, and thank you. Thank you so much, man. It was the greatest moment of my life. <laughs> thank you so much. I appreciate you. <laughs> On to the most hyped heavyweight fight in years now, Wilder Fury to the rematch. And this time, Tyson Fury was able to do what he couldn't do the first time around. Fury knocked down Wilder with a right in the third. Then two rounds later, did it again, this time with a body shot. And finally in the seventh, Wilder's corner had enough throwing in the towel for Fury. An unbelievable comeback story ends in victory. Nick, how surprised were you with how this fight went down? Uh, listen, I was I was shocked. It cost me a bucket of money. Uh, I, uh, I mean, I was, I was, I was watching. The, I, had, I had bet the fight before I left the country through with my friends at Foxbet. I then, of course, while I'm out of the country at a nice little international gambling establishment, the fight's about to come on. I bet the fight again because I thought Deontay Wilder was going to win. And not only did he not win, Greg, he got annihilated. He was, that fight was over in the third round. He, he was out on his feet in the third round. And then from that moment forward, you had to start to be pretty concerned for him. There was a moment in the fifth round where I said to my wife who was watching with me from the, the spot where we were that this, if he doesn't get knocked out, and I didn't think he was going to get knocked out because Wilder's so tough and he kept getting up. This is the type of fight that changes the trajectory of your career, does damage to you that you do not recover from. And it went on a couple rounds after that. I thought what Fury did, and listen, I am not an X's and O's boxing analyst, but I love the sport. I've always loved the sport. We don't talk about it because there's not often fights quite right. this big. What Fury was able to do in identifying clearly before the fight where Wilder's defensive weaknesses were, exploiting him. Fury switching up his stance a few times mid-fight, then switching back. Wilder had no answer and was just, I thought Fury won every single round. You could argue maybe Wilder barely won the second, but probably not. It was a total thorough domination that the only critique I would have had is it maybe should have ended earlier. That the, the, the corner maybe should have thrown the towel earlier. It should have been called earlier because Wilder was a was done by the middle of the fourth round without any question. I was thoroughly surprised. And I was more surprised from a standpoint of this. Boxers, I'll just look at Wilder. Wilder, he's a puncher. Fury, he's a boxer. And we saw him box. And we saw Wilder try to punch a boxer. And what I didn't like is when you possess so much skill, so much talent, so much power in your punches, it forces you to rely on that more than it does anything else. And what I mean by that is I didn't see Wilder come out wanting to be a boxer and honing his craft. And that's as an athlete, as a competitor, you know, and Fury knew it. Going into it, we saw him pregame. We saw him leading up to the fight. He was so comfortable and so relaxed because he knew, dude, I got it. 
I, there's so much that I've studied and watched that I am going to outbox this Which guy. Which is amazing because, I mean, obviously neither of these guys had ever lost. It's not like he was fighting a guy who someone else had, had exploited these weaknesses against. The, the, the only time Wilder had never hadn't won a fight was the one against Fury the last time. Yes. When Wilder, I thought, knocked him out cold in the 12th round, and then Fury did the Undertaker at the six count and somehow yeah. got up to salvage the draw. All right, we saw the match. We saw the rematch. How badly do you want to see these guys do this again for a third time? I'm really curious what you think about this, Greg, because going into this fight, I would have said there is nothing that could happen that would not make me want to see part three. That if one of them gets knocked out in the first round, if it goes no matter what, I'm going to want to see part three because nobody could be up to nothing because the first one was a draw. So we would need a part three. Man, I watched this and I said, I, I'll watch it if there is, but I don't. I don't think there's a need for you a third. Need no. to see it. And if and Wilder, I know can activate an option to get a third to to get a rematch. It was in the fight contract. Man, if I'm Wilder's people, you got to find a reason to not do it, an, ex an explanation. And by the way, I do not like Tyson Fury at all, and I adore Deontay Wilder. His story is amazing. I sat with him and talked with him six years ago at the Super Bowl, right when he had, yeah, it was six years ago. It was a long time ago when he was kind of coming on it. He is in a, I love him, but he can't, th th this is, uh, the, the, what we saw Saturday night, there is no reason to believe it would go differently if they fought 10 times. They, unless you got, unless you hit him, it's heavyweight fight, boxing, so you can always hit him with one. But I mean, to me, Fury was that dominant that I don't know that we even need a third one. Yeah, I'm with you. He was so tactical, Fury was, to where you don't believe that there's anything that Deontay Wilder could do to oh, uh, surmount that, to trump it. And for me, it, it, it's, it's Wilder knew it. Wilder knew it the entire fight, specifically from the second round on. It was like, oh, shoot, I have to get a paw on this guy or I'm not going to be able to beat him. Mm -hmm. And you could see it. You could sense it. And once Fury senses it, once your competitor senses it, it's, yeah, over. it's over. And I, I truly believe, like you, there is no need for a third fight. And, and I, you do. I, I remember when the Niners played the Packers in the regular season and I came here on the show the next day and I said, the Packers can make the Super Bowl but they need someone to beat the Niners for them. I then foolishly picked the Packers to beat the Niners because I'm an idiot. But the, <laughs> there was just what one he team was good at. To beat. So what? listen, for Wilder, Fury Joshua is now the fight everyone wants to see. Yep. It would be the biggest fight in the history of British boxing. would unify all the belts. What, what Wilder in his, in his heart, whether he'll say it or not, is hoping, Anthony Joshua win that fight, and then Wilder Comes takes in, in and yeah. takes on Joshua, and maybe that's stylistically different. I don't see how Wilder can overcome what just happened on Saturday against Fury. Back here with Greg Jennings talking NFL Draft. So the combine is underway, and Joe Burrow is already in the news. His hands measured in at nine inches. No first-round quarterback has had smaller hands than nine inches since 2008. And while his stock might be going down, Tua Tungavaloa's might be going up. Pro Football Focus says Tua will be a high-end starter if he is healthy. As for Burrow and his hands, the Heisman winner tweeted yesterday, this is fantastic. Look what he tweeted. Considering retirement after I was informed the football will be slipping out of my tiny hands. Please keep me in your thoughts. It's great. Lean into it. I Why love not? that, Joey. That's uh, great. 
All right, Nick, who should be the first pick in the draft? A lot of people have Burrow. You've been on side Tua for, for a while. And it's now. not an anti-Joe Burrow take, and yeah. I promise it has nothing to do with his tiny, tiny hands. The, the, <laughs> why, do they, why do they have to be tiny, tiny? Call, oh, he, yeah, just one tiny. <laughs> well, okay, fair enough. Yeah, it just his tiny hands. His self-proclaimed tiny hands. The best quarterback in the NFL and the most talented quarterback my eyes have ever laid, laid eyes on, Patrick Mahomes, his hands are a whole quarter of an inch. Bigger than Joe Burrow's. Nine and so a quarter. Nine and a quarter to Joe's nine. And we saw him play. And I understand the, the stripes on the college football as opposed to the NFL football. So it's a little different about how much hand size matters. And, by the way, the guy, you played with two guys with freak show hands, right? Mm-hmm. And Favre and Rodgers. And we have seen, you can talk about this far better than me, we've seen countless uh, uh, highlights of them going back in the pocket, some behemoth coming off their blind side, chopping down on their arm, and somehow the ball not coming loose. So I, I do think it matters to a degree. But before I knew Joe Burrow's hand size, I would have said Tua, and the answer is multi-layered. One is I think Tua's upside is higher. The other is there does seem to be, for Cincinnati in particular, some murmurs that Joe Burrow maybe wouldn't want to be there. Tua, there is no question he would be thrilled to be anywhere, and he's going to sit the first year. So if you're Cincinnati and you need a total overhaul anyway, having a redshirt year from Tua where you can be bad again is not the worst thing in the world, as opposed to drafting Burrow who's going to expect to be playing immediately behind a team that needs an overhaul and maybe get beat up a bit. So for a lot of reasons, but most notably, I think Joe Burrow is good at everything. And aside from collegiate accuracy, I don't know that he's great a-level NFL great at anything, and I think Tua can be a superstar in this league. I would take Tua, but it's got very little to do with Joe Burrow's little hands. Okay, tiny hands. Okay, sorry, Come on, my Nick. apologies. So I agree with you on some of your your stance. I, I like Tua better than I do like Joe Burrow, but I just want to put everyone in Joe Burrow's shoes for a second. Like, I'm the healthy one, and this guy is injured and you're questioning whether who you would take, like, he's going to feel some level of disrespect. Like, as an athlete, as, a, as people, as, as competitors, if someone didn't show up and actually perform the way that you're doing it right now, and they did it from home, and they just called in, mm-hmm. and they were sick, you'd be like, dude, he sounded terrible. He's sick. He's not, he can't do what I do. They can't run 12 miles in one day when they got a mm-hmm. half mile in, in two weeks. Like, you would feel some way slighted. And, and all you've done is have success? One of the and greatest you, single seasons. All you've done is have history. success? Joe Burrow is, he should be the number one overall draft pick because he is healthy. Now, that may be the only reason why, because as far as talent level, as far as what these guys can be, that's to be seen. But right now, I'm not taking, if I'm Cincinnati, Tua, and I know my my organization needs an overhaul, and I need a guy now and to give my fan base and to sell tickets and say, oh, yeah, we're going to take Tua, but he's not going to play this year, so you got to wait for 2021 or 2022. Like, no, that's not how it works. You take the healthy guy because you understand, I need someone right now that can provide me with some type of list, lift, some type of boost. That is Joe Burrow. I just have to ask about the injury, because the injury is what's keeping us really from 
having a true conversation of who the number one guy should be coming out of the draft. He doesn't just have an injury. He's injury prone. He's had a number of injuries. The most recent one, the hip, which now they're saying if he's healthy, he could be, you know, good to go. He's wearing the brace on the knee in that picture there. Do, do you worry about him coming out? The fact that in college, he's really banged up a number of different limbs already, his hip most specifically? Yes, you worry. You worry. It, it, every Going through the NFL combine, like, I had an ankle injury. I had, like, an elbow, elbow dislocation. They literally, I was in an x-ray room for eight and a half hours wow. because they were trying to MRI as well, make sure that my ankles were good, make sure that my, make sure every little thing was perfectly fine because this is a, is a huge investment. Huge, huge Now, I was a second-round draft pick. Imagine if you're potentially going to be the number one draft pick. Overall, you're going to go above and beyond. You're going to look at Tua and say, I can't take that type of a chance right out the gate, number one overall, and he's hurt. And sell this to my fan base and say, this is the product that we just bought. This is what we're bringing. Right. And it, but, but wait, we can't use it. Yeah, so well, make the but case, but so here's why you can is because in order to be successful as the number one overall pick of the draft at quarterback, you have to turn into a championship level quarterback. I'm not saying you have to win a Super Bowl, but you've got to be a, t a quarterback that's good enough to put your team in contention to compete for them. And who you got to go through if you're Cincinnati in your division. You have to go through reigning MVP Lamar Jackson, and you're going to have to go through Baker Mayfield, who I believe is going to bounce back after a sensational rookie season and then a bad second year. And by the way, the Steelers are still there. If you get through your division, you are going to have to go through future MVP Deshaun Watson, and then you're going to have to go through reigning Super Bowl MVP Patrick Mahomes. You better have a stud at quarterback. You cannot have a rich man's Andy Dalton. You got to have a guy that can go across the field eye to eye with Deshaun Watson, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, and say, man, today I'm the better quarterback. And I think that's Tua, even if you got to wait a year for it. I think the, the, I understand your point. There's safety in Joe Burrow, and maybe Joe Burrow will turn into the quarterback that I believe Tua ultimately will be. But I think Tua's upside is too high to pass up on at that spot, especially in, your, you, you know who you're competing against in the NFL. Players change, quarterbacks don't. Lamar is going to be the quarterback of the Ravens for the at a minimum, the entirety of whoever they draft their rookie contract. Baker Mayfield's going to be in Cleveland. The Steelers are going to be the damn Steelers, no matter who their quarterback is. And then you have Deshaun, who's about to get a five-year huge extension, and Patrick, who's about to get a five-year huge extension. Who do you feel like can elevate your franchise to compete with those guys. It's the same thing, by the way, that Houston Texans, what changed their franchise, and I know they haven't had massive playoff success, was they went from also Rands or good but not great Matt Schaub to Deshaun Bleeping Watson. Let's go. We, I know they blew the game, but we can be up 24-0 on the road in a playoff game on Patrick Mahomes. Like, they, you, you're going to have to have the best A-plus option, and to me, that's Tua. The injuries are the only reason that, to me, this isn't an open-and-shut case.
right, let's talk about another quarterback who's already in the league. That is Cam Newton. His future with Carolina has been up in the air the last couple of months, with the team still seemingly undecided on their quarterback decision. Yesterday, Cam put up a short video on Instagram saying, quote, all I want is a little commitment. Something he hasn't really gotten from the Panthers in the last year, but the Panthers took notice this time. New head coach Matt Rule saying, quote, I absolutely want Cam here. That admitted report that Carolina will keep Cam as their starter. All right, Greg, there's a lot going on here. I still feel like we're going back and forth on whether this team really wants to put all their eggs in the Cam Newton basket. What was your reaction to all this? Number one, I respect Cam a lot for putting that out there and saying all I want is a little commitment. He deserved a little commitment. And he's talking to the team. And he's talking right? to the team. And when you've done what he's done for that franchise, you deserve a little commitment. I'm not saying you deserve for them to say, yes, you're going to be here or no, you're not. But you deserve for for new regime to come out and say, we at least want you here. And so for them to come out and say that, it now gives him this idea and belief that, okay, now I can start moving forward and feeling comfortable that the offseason is approaching. You, kind, you do kind of want me here. I just have to continue to be on the, the path of creating and stacking success and fit into what you're trying to do. T Cam Newton is a great talent. He has been in one of the worst positions as a player, specifically at the quarterback position, who has had a revolving door around him as offensive coordinator, as player players around him, skill guys. He's never they, had- They the haven't been able to find the wide receivers. They've, his entire career, he's only had Greg Olson. Right, Steve that's, Smith early on and, the, and then Greg That's Olson. it, yep. and, and, absolutely. Steve Smith when he first got there, but after that, it's been a revolving door, and so he deserves the, the opportunity to build with this team and to see if he fits in what they're trying to do in the future. And they don't have a better option. They've never had a better option. This is the smartest thing the Panthers have done in quite some time if they do go through with it. And this idea, again, I, I, I feel like sometimes I'm, I, I live in a crazy world where nobody can remember anything that didn't happen in the last 18 months. Cam Newton, prior to the T.J. Watt hit, had missed three games in his career. His whole career, prior, hell, going into this season, he'd only missed five. Then he missed basically the entirety of this season. It, this year was a lost season. Leading into the T.J. Watt hit, with the new throwing motion and the new offense, Cam Newton had a 101 rating, 19 touchdowns, four interceptions, to go along with 45 rushing yards per game and 230 passing yards per game, and 67% completions, and his team was 6-2. and two. That wasn't the MVP season. That was 2018. That was Patrick Mahomes' MVP year, is the year that Cam was 6-2. and two. And so, of course, this is their better option. What's up? So why didn't the Carolina Panthers say, you're our guy. Let's sign you up for a couple more years. Here's a new con. Like, why didn't they? Why aren't they? If they know that 101 passer rating, those eight games were great games. Why not say you're our guy? Why well, are I they? I feel like that's what they, they they were just doing. But, but for the last year, they haven't been. They've been sort of floating it out there that they're not sure well, what they're going to do. Is that a broken do. foot?
and and now they and I and I'm not advocating you give him a contract extension. I'm You're advocating just saying, just let him play, play the you, year. You got Cam Newton Last year of his for one year, 19 million dollars to see if he can get back to that level. If he does, he's the best non-rookie quarterback bargain in the NFL. This is and by the way, Matt Rule, what he has done at every stop offensively at the collegiate level and also with an NFL background. I'm excited to see Cam in that. And Greg, just quickly, I'm curious your thoughts on this. All of a sudden, the NFC South feels like one of the more wide-open divisions in football. Tampa don't know who their quarterback is. Atlanta inexplicably brought Dan Quinn back. Let's run that thing back, see what happens. And New Orleans doesn't have a quarterback under contract yet, even though they seemingly have three competent ones or two competent ones and, and Taysom, whatever Taysom's going to be. So I... To me, that division's super winnable if you get the Cam Newton that you had before T.J. Watt wrecked his shoulder and before he got his foot broken. Yeah, when you when you look at a team like this and you get a new head coach, ownership has changed. The one thing that you want to have is a leader in that locker room, a guy who's been there, who's won, who's who's literally trying to do the things that you want at the quarterback position. And as you mentioned, Cam is their best option. There is no one, like, you can talk about Teddy Bridgewater, you can talk about Tom Brady, you can talk about all these guys that are free agents right now. I would not, if I'm the Carolina Panthers and I have Cam, yeah. I'm not taking one of those guys and all over those Cam guys Newton. will cost more yes. than $19 million next season that Cam Newton, who's already in your building and wants to be there. No, it certainly seems Cam Newton is the best option for the Panthers at this point. Thank you for listening to the First Things First podcast. Remember, leave us a review and tell us what you think. Subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts and catch us on FS1 Monday through Friday, 6.30 a.m. Eastern. 